the last half of this chapter. And as, as you're turning there, just to kind of give you a quick um, background setting to this, Isaiah is, is calling out to Israel. They've been in captivity uh, to Babylon, and they're coming to the point where the Lord calls them to leave Babylon. So we'll read verses 12 to the end of the chapter. If you would, please remember this is God's word. Let's take heed how we hear it. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. Assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his way. Draw near to me and hear this. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now... The Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it, send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from them. From the rock he split the rock, and the water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord. For the wicked, grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Well, it's pretty apparent that there are some serious issues in our world today. It doesn't take long to look out and see all the various evils and the wickedness in fact, if we made a list, it wouldn't take long to have a whole paper full of just the different atrocities that we see. Would it be nice for there to be peace? It would be nice if there was peace because we get tired of the wickedness. And it's unfortunate that wickedness is not only constrained to one geographical location or one group of people or one institution. Rather, wickedness is everywhere. And unfortunately, we even see this in certain churches and denominations. So how does this happen? And why does it happen? And how do we ensure that we as a church and we as Christians honor God, that we keep wickedness far from us? Well, our passage I believe, has some good guidance, some good thoughts, and some good wisdom.
for us to, to do that. Isaiah gives the nation of Israel and Christians today wisdom in this manner. And I would like for us to consider a few different areas and help us that, to, rem, to remember God, to obey God, and to find peace with God. We must remember God. Remember who God is. So often we forget, God, forget who God is and who we are. It leads us to not take seriously the things of God like his commands, and it becomes easy for us to justify sin in our lives. And before we realize it, the waves of sin have come in and swept us off into sinful swells. We need to remember who he is. We need to remember what he has done for us. And we need to remember what he said. So as, remember, as, we, start, as we begin to remember God, let's remember first who he is. Look at verse 12 with me, please. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. God is eternal. Always has been and always will be. We are not. We are very finite. In fact, if you were to stand on the beach and you look down one length of it and see as far as the eye sees, and you turn and you look at that and pick a grain of sand and drop it, that is our lives on the scale of time. And thank God that we don't have a God who's constrained by those, those limits, by time and space. It's more as if God was overhead looking down and he sees the entirety of the beach. We may only see a little bit on either side, but God sees everything. God sees all the grains of sand. God knows how many grains of sand there are. Just like we read here a moment ago from Luke. God is all-powerful. There is nothing that man can make that would even come close to, def to defeating God. There's, there's nothing. God is all-knowing. He knows everything. He sees all. He is majestic and glorious. And most of all, he's holy. So many people want to hold this attribute of love, and yes, that is one of God's attributes. But that is not the defining attribute of God. And in fact, if you look in Scripture, there's only one place that talks about what God is. And it's at the beginning of this book where it's taken to the third degree, that God is holy, holy, holy. And so we need to remember that in his holiness, all of his attributes are divine. They're all equal. And, and what, I, what I want us to understand is that God is somebody who is completely, completely apart from us. Remember who God is. Remember who he is. Let's remember what he's done. Look in verse 13. My hand laid the foundations of the earth, 
and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I, when I call to them, they stand forth together. God spoke things into existence. He has that power. We don't. God has the power to create. We don't. Just consider for a moment how nature operates. It's, it's, it's not a coincidence that we can take a seed, put it into a bucket with dirt, dump water on it, put it in the sun, and a plant grows. If you think of how all that needs to happen, it all points to a creator. It all points back to a grand designer. And not plants. Think of how animals are. Think about yourself for a moment. If we're cut, not magically, but our body heals itself. If we're sick, normally our body heals itself. If you've taken a biology class, it's almost impossible for, for someone to study that and think that this was all a coincidence. And I would say that creation points back to God. And as we stand out there in creation, it's impossible to not know God is there. And it reminds us that God is so powerful. He is outside of us. And who are we to not listen to him? Also, we have his works in creation. But think about just the works that he's done in your life. I used to think um, the Christian life was a, of a series of hills and valleys. And in a sense, it really is. But I kind of thought it was just on a horizontal plane. And as I've got older, I've realized that as you go up these hills and valleys, you start to actually ascend and go higher and higher. And what that does is many of us have been to the mountains. As, you, as you're going up a hill, it looks like you may not be able to see much past there. You go down and there's another hill. And when you get to the top, you can look back where you came from. And so think of just the common grace that God has given you throughout your life. There's been those hills and, valley, or hills and valleys. And God's been bringing you through this and carrying you the whole time. Think of the blessings he's given to you. Think of the blessings he's given to us as a church. It's all God working. Let's also remember his words. Because when we forget him, we forget his works. We forget his words then we forget his commandments, and it leads us to sin. That's exactly why Israel was in the state they were in. Their king was a rebellious, evil king. For punishment, God sent them to Babylon. We need to remember God's word. To illustrate this point, I want us to think for a moment of Samson. Samson, for a time, forgot who God was. Samson was taken apart from the Hebrews, given a Nazarite vow, set apart to do great works. And he did do great works. Several miraculous military victories. And then he forgot who God was. He forgot what God commanded him. 
And when that happened, it cost Samson his dignity, his strength, even his eyesight. David forgot God for a moment. It's not always a whole lifespan of us forgetting God. Sometimes all it takes is a split second of us forgetting God. And David forgot God for a moment, and it led to adultery and murder. And as a consequence to that, David lost a son. On the contrary to that, think of some people who never forgot who God was. Think for a moment of Joshua. He sent out with 11 other people to go spy on the promised land. And he goes out, and they come back to give the report. And him and Caleb say, we can absolutely do this. And the other 10 said, no, the walls are too high. No, the, the people there are too powerful for us. We can't, we can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb, Drew's paraphrase here, say, no, God promised that it is our land. We can take it. They remembered who God was, and they remembered the promises of God. And they knew that God would carry them through. But the nation didn't do that. Joseph is another great example of somebody who did not forget who God was. And even in doing the right thing in obedience to God's commands, it, he suffered imprisonment and some uncomfortable consequences. But he knew who, that God was there to take care of him. And imagine being there as Joseph looks over at his brothers and he realizes that though they meant what they did for bad, that God meant it for good. Our, our best ultimate example of somebody who never forgot God was Jesus. Perfect life. Died a death on the cross in obedience to the Father for yours and my sins. We need to remember God. And, and it's great. We, we, maybe you're sitting there and you say, oh, I understand. I need to remember God. How do I do that? How do I remember God? Well, we need to study. We need to be in his word. His, his word is, is how he speaks to us. And we speak to him in prayer. So many times people, I feel, look to uh, the leadership in the church almost like they would a doctor in a medical profession. They, they don't, people only go to the doctors when they're, when they're sick or they have a medical question. Brothers and sisters, I would, I would set forth to you that it's, not only the elders and the pastor's responsibility to, to read scriptural theology books, but it's also yours. If you want to know more about God, open almost any systematic theology book. And there's many good ones out there. And usually the first subject is who God is. Take some time to read that. There's also very good books that have been written by godly men on who God is. We, we, we need to, to know God and to, to understand who He is. We do the same thing. Think about it with, with your spouse or maybe your children or your best friends. You, you get to know them, right? I, I can walk into the house and my wife can look at me and in two seconds, 
Less than that, she knows exactly what's going on in my mind because she knows me. And as I sit there and, I, and, and as we meditate on how we can be better spouses or better husbands or better wives, better parents, we're trying to understand our spouses, our children, or whatever that may be because we, we want to get to know them because we love them. And that is what we need to do to God. Why is it that we try to figure out what our spouse's favorite meal is, but we can't read about God's attributes? Why is it so different with God? One other very helpful way to kind of apply this to your life or a resource for you is is to think about the great men and women of God. There's many biographies written about these, these people, and if you can read them, understand a little bit more about what they did, what set them apart from God, or what set them apart from the world, how they loved God. Men like Jonathan Edwards and Charles Spurgeon, women like Amy Carmichael and Elizabeth Elliot, all can be of, of help to us. So we see when we forget God, we forget His commands, and they become far from our mind. However, once we remember God, His commands become more relevant in our lives. And we look to them not as something to be a burden to us, but as something that we want to obey. And so we need to obey God. Look with me in verse 20. Go out from Babylon... Flee from Chaldea. The prophet has said to leave. Every time God calls us to obedience, there is always an action. We can choose to step out in faith and be obedient to God, or we can choose to be disobedient. In a sense, the gates have been swung open for Israel to leave. Why would they want to stay? So often as, as I read through the Old Testament, I look at the nation of Israel and I wonder, why do you all do the same thing over and over and over again? And every time that I read through it, it takes, it takes just a moment for me to realize that I do the same thing in my life. Israel is in bondage. They're freed. They sin. They go back to bondage. God didn't, we were, we were not made to live in bondage. If you're a Christian, the gates have been opened up. And God says, let's go. Let's be obedient. Let's obey us. Let's not sit back in bondage to sin. Let's know God. Let's understand his commandments. This all starts with the gospel of repent and believe. We have to understand also that we can only obey through the power of the Holy Spirit. Tim brought up an excellent point this morning. When we understand that wickedness, that all that out in the world is all because of man's evil heart. And we all have the potential to be just as evil. And it is God's hand of grace that holds on to you and doesn't let you do that. 
I had a really good friend of mine tell me once, he said, every bad thing that you've ever done is your fault. And he said, every good thing that you've ever done is God's. And that's absolutely true. When you understand that that mountain that's in front of you, it's not climbable on our own power. We need God. We need to obey Him, and we do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at me in verse 21. What, is, what happens when we obey God? It says, They did not thirst when they led them through the deserts. He made water flow from them and rocks. He split the rock and the water gushed out. So let me, re, let me rephrase this. There is a promise that when we obey God, he will provide for us. He's reminding them of the time they left Egypt and they wandered in the desert and God provided for them water. God provided for them food. God just doesn't say, obey me and figure it out on your own. No, there's, there's promises. And then when we do obey God, we see the benefits of that and we see the rewards of that. You see what could have happened to Israel in verse 18. It says, Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. If, if they had, then this. Then your peace would have been like a river. We need to have peace. We do this through obedience with God. And we'll talk more about this in a second. But knowing Know this, it is always better to obey God. Now, does this, not, does this mean that when we're obedient to God that life will go great for us? No. And I know that you know that. We still experience trials. And we may not have peace maybe with our spouses or, or our families all the time or our friends or, or work or even in church here. But you have peace with the one person that it matters. And that peace transcends all those others. And though, then you can, you can rest in that peace, knowing that God has you where you're supposed to be. And that everything is, is going out according to God's plan, and you can rest in Him. So when you see that mountain and you think, I don't know how to get up there, or I can't do this anymore, or all these other factors are going on in my life, know that God is the one who gives you the strength to do that. Because you have peace with God. You can obey his commandments. Moses, or Moses obeyed God. If you think about this for a moment, Moses, Hebrew, born 40 years in the Egyptian palace, kills a person, goes into exile for 40 years, and then God comes to him and says, you're going to free my people. And what did Moses do? Probably the same thing most of us would do. Whoa, not me. Moses says, I can't even speak. God said, be obedient to me and I will give you the power to do that. And that's exactly what we see. Moses going in front of the Pharaoh and speaking on behalf of thousands and thousands of Israelites. And when he threw his rod down or did whatever the Lord commanded, God worked it out. Because Moses was obedient God was able to, or God worked through Moses to free his people. 
Imagine for a second when you're, if you were Moses and you're, you just went through ten plagues, you've seen all of God's marvelous work. You've, you've seen the destruction that happens for people who reject God. You have all these Israelites with you who have cried out to God for, free, for freedom. And you come to the Red Sea. And as you get there, you look out and you hear the chariots behind you. Moses probably did not know what to do right at that second. But God gave him the answer. And when Moses obeyed, the waters parted and everybody walked through on dry grass or dry ground. We need to obey God's commands. This all starts with the gospel. We need to remember that we are, we are sinners and we incur the payment of death for that and hell. And that the only way to be reconciled with God is through Jesus, his son. We need to repent of our sins and turn to God and say, Father, you have been sustaining me this whole time and I need you to continue sustaining me. I'm sorry for my sin. I understand that it is a... It is enduring your wrath. And I trust in Christ for salvation. Once we have the gospel, we need to, to obey God by, <clears throat> um, by following his commands. And one of, the, one of the ways that that makes it easier is surrounding ourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ who encourage us who strengthen us, who, who spur us on to follow God's commands. We also need to be praying for help. It's not always easy to follow God. As we looked at some of those examples of Moses, it probably was not easy at all. And he needed Joshua. He needed Aaron. Pray for help. Surround yourself with believers. Know God's commands. If we don't know God's commands, how do we know what to obey? When we know God, we understand His commands are for our good. And when we decide to obey God, we will see blessings and peace. But I want us to look closely at the last verse in our passage, because I think it's very important. We've talked about where we can find peace when we obey God. But verse 22 serves as a warning. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. See, this, this passage is, is the Lord's call to Israel. And he says, there's no peace for the wicked. And I said at the beginning in our introduction that we see even wickedness in the church. And so what this is warning us is that there are people that can come to church, that can say they're a Christian, that can make false professions of faith. You can fake everybody out around you, but you're not going to have true peace. And you're not going to have peace with the one who it really matters to have peace with. You may say, well, you know, that might be a stretch <clears throat> of that verse. But I want you to hear what Paul says 
in Romans 9, starting in verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promises are counted as offspring. Not everybody in Israel was a true Israelite. They may have had the physical markings. They may have um, participated in the feasts and done the sacrifices. But their heart wasn't right. They didn't really worship God the way he was supposed to be worshipped. So we need to be very, very careful. Jesus warns us about the same issue in Matthew 7. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Listen to this. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? These, these aren't just regular old people that just show up to church. These are people who really, truly believe they're Christians. And they perform these works but they don't have peace with God. And what does Jesus tell them? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, you see that wickedness results from forgetting God? And it's very easy for us to ask the question, why is the world forgetting God? Or, is the world forgetting God? The question isn't, is America forgetting God? Is, is the government forgetting God? It's, it's not, is, is churches, are they forgetting God? The question we need to ask ourselves is, I'm forgetting God. Am I forgetting his majesty for who he is? Am I forgetting his commands? Am I forgetting that I need to have peace with him? Does your heart reflect God's heart? And are you at peace with God? Now, you all know me. I'm, I'm not up here saying that we work ourselves into heaven or we work and we have peace with God. That's not what I'm saying. I said it started with the gospel. We need to have peace with God Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're at a peaceful time in your life. Maybe you're standing on the mountain and you can kind of look back and you can see where God has carried you. Praise God for that moment. Because you know just as well as I do that those moments don't last forever until it's time to continue on the next hill. But while you're up there, don't hesitate to reach out and encourage those around you. Yell over that side to those who are climbing up the mountain. Keep going. It gets better. God has carried you through here. I can look back. I can see the promises being kept. Continue to climb. Maybe you're the one climbing. And you know, I can't do it anymore. I don't know if I can reach over my head one more time. 
and you hear that voice, God's got this, that encouragement, and you know that he does. And that, that, last, ounce, that last ounce of strength may be the one that pulls you over the ledge so you can look back and see God's faithfulness to you. Maybe you're sitting here and you say, I don't, don't really know God. I, I don't have peace in peace with my heart. I, in fact, I, I know that I don't. I, you know, maybe just come to church for whatever reason, but you don't know Jesus. You've forgotten God. And his commands seem irrelevant to you. And you don't have peace. I would encourage you to turn to God today. To repent and believe. There is no peace, God says, for the wicked. Don't make the mistake, please. of what Asaph talks about. In Psalms 50, verse 21, he says, These things, actually, let me back up a few verses. Verse 18, If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and you speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. Remember God. He is bigger than all of us. I was sitting outside, I think as I've got older, I've turned into the, the dad trait where as soon as it starts to storm, I need to go outside and watch it. And I'm sitting outside at the garage, <clears throat> and it was one of these, a um, couple, couple weeks ago, one of these just sporadic thunderstorms that pops up at four or five in the afternoon. and. And there was a just a low rumble of thunder, thunder that started off. And you know, normally it lasts a couple seconds. This one was prolonged, and it continued on and on. And it felt like it started way over here and moved over me, and it was all around me. And for a split second, I felt so small. If lightning decided to come down and hit my house, I couldn't stop that. If the wind decided to blow a tree down, I could scream at the top of my lungs. I could even run and try to push it back. But that was still going to come through my house. God can calm the storms. And what I want you to understand is that you might think that it's okay or that it's not important to have peace with God. But there's a storm coming for those who do not have peace with God. Paul Washer sort of makes the analogy um, that in a sense that God is, is telling you to come with one hand and his wrath is in the other. And you can sit here and reject God and say, ah, his commands are, are pointless. I don't, I don't need them. And eventually that hand of grace that is extending to you will come back and the sword will come forward. We just prayed for a family that lost somebody this week unexpectedly. 
I will, I am venturing to probably that the majority of people who die when they're young did not think they were about to die. Weren't planning on that. We don't know when the judgment will come. So repent and believe today. Finding peace with God does not mean all of our life's problems will go away, but they will become easier to deal with because we know we have peace with the one who it truly matters. Let's not forget God. Let's not forget His commands. Let's find peace with God. Let's remember the gospel. Let's remember God. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come before you hearing from your word, we ask that the truth would be rooted deeply in our hearts and that we as a church, God, would not forget you. That we as your children would not forget you. Father, help us to remember who you are. Give us the strength to obey your commands and help us, Father, to have peace with you through Jesus Christ. Amen.